Hey, Soraya, how's it going? Hey, Jeff. All right. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. Excited today because we'll be having four other bodies on this podcast. <laughs> you know, we like to pack the room from time to time. We do. We do. So I think we have what we can consider a co-host. Oh, absolutely. The one and only Pat Thomas. Yes. All right. And so if Pat Thomas is on, it usually means one of a couple of things. What um, could that be? <laughs> it, we, today we are talking to Dream Syndicate. Yay! <laughs> All right. Let's get Amazing. started. Let's do it. Hi, this is Soraya. And this is Jeff. Our podcast is called Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhyme. A podcast where the two of us play music that we like and share anecdotes and background about the tunes. We hope you'll join our conversation. And without further ado, agroviar. Let's get groovy. All right, Soraya, you want to get us started today? Well, for our listeners, uh, first of all, we want to welcome back Pat Thomas as our guest host and uh, give an immense welcome to Dennis Duck, Mark Walton, and Steve Wynn. And we are here to talk about this big beauty right here. Yes. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Out of That's the great. beautiful packaging, isn't it? I love This it. is really. And then Jeff, uh, how many copies have we actually found in stock? Not very many, as a matter of fact. We were looking just now, and as far as the the label that released it, Fire Records, we'll talk to Pat about this in a little bit, it showed that they were out of stock in it, but um, we found that Amazon had some coming up, if you go that route, um, next week. And then um, we found a couple other copies, but this went really oh, quick. Just, just for the record, there'll be at least another thousand out in about a month. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So it will be available. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, yeah. Thankfully, we're not discussing a brand new, totally out of print release. Just yeah, to, so. but the initial copies uh, were very, very popular, which is a good sign. Yeah, yeah, but very good sign. I think before we get into that, we had some news that we wanted to share about the Dream Syndicate. Um, we love this title. Um, the band has a new record coming out that they just announced: "Ultraviolet Battle Hymns and True Confessions," a name that I absolutely adore. Great um, title, great title, yeah. brilliant title, brilliant. <laughs> it's <Agreed>. Wonderful. <laughs> Did Michael Quercio name the album? That's <laughs> <laughs> so we understand that uh, it'll be released on May 10th digitally, and I think or pre-orders will ship June 10th. Is that right, Steve? I don't know. I thought it was released all June 10th or something. Okay, right. That sounds about right. A couple. Stories. I know Pat would know more than we do. Yeah, yeah. No, that's not, that sounds right. Yeah, more or less. Very good. And there's a new single that's been released, "Where I'll Stand," which we really, really enjoy. Um, is there anything that you guys want to talk? Just high level summary, real quick, about the release, since we've got this news to discuss. Um, Mark, the, the new record. The yeah, new just record. Briefly, before... Just briefly before we dive into the old. Record. Yeah, just briefly. Yeah. Is it Mark? Is there anything that you want to say as a teaser? It's really awesome. I think you'll like the whole thing. It's, 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 again, a new direction, but it's still the same old dream syndicate. Nice. Dennis, any thoughts? 
Uh, <clears throat> yeah, pretty much agree with what Mark said. It's it, it yeah, it's it's another step forward, but it's uh, it still has the base soul of the band, you know, which we'll never lose. And uh, I I think people are going to really dig it. It's it's got a lot of different things. Uh, it hits on a lot of different levels. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I've listened to it so many times that I've never gotten tired of listening to it. Wow. I, really, I think it's a real strong uh, new step for us. So, yeah. Very good. Very good. Steve, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you one thing that I've been, um, I think is really cool about the record, about the new the, the single about Where I'll Stand is, you know, we, we played together, the last time we played together before the pandemic, we saw you guys at the, at the, at the Echo, Echoplex out in LA, and then we didn't hang out together, play together, do anything together for a long time. And this rec recording session we did in July of last summer was the first time we got together to play music. And we all got together in Richmond, Virginia to do that. And we learned a new song that I'd written called Where I'll Stand. We rehearsed it for a couple, you know, a couple times through, then turned on the red light, ran the tape. And the first time we played together in a year and a half, is the single the version you hear that's it that's the first bit of music one one take wonders you're so wow. fired <laughs> wow that's very impressive uh, ready to go wow that is definitely impressive now we're hungry we wanted to play we were missing each other and missing the activity of playing it was definitely worth the trip to richmond ah excellent one more thing pat before we'll let you take it away uh, as far as what can I say? No regrets. Um, I did want to mention that you guys will be playing um, in, in Austin um, about the time that this is um, being aired. And um, uh, Mark Walton, you're going to be doing double duties, playing with Dream Syndicate and Continental Drifters. I am. I'm very excited to just run around the town, hopping from club to club for three days straight. Excellent. And then Steve, um, are you doing anything besides the Dream Syndicate? Any yeah. side gigs while you're there? I'm doing, um, um, besides the five shows we're playing together, I'm doing a sort of solo show at Yard Dog Art Studios where they, they, um, they have been, been um, selling my artwork in the last five or six years. So I'm going to do a show over there, acoustic, but I believe, I know Dennis will be there and Jason will be there. So who knows what will happen? Mark won't be there because he'll be rehearsing with the Continental Drifters at that time. And then on Saturday, the last day of the of South by Southwest, there's going to be an Alex Chilton tribute show at Lucy's Fried Chicken um, with a bunch of our, our mutual pals, um, Vicki Peterson, Susan Cowsell, and, and, and um, Peter Holzapple, Chuck Prophet. A um, whole bunch of us are going to do um, um, Big Star and Alex Chilton songs. So I'm going to do that as well. Ah. That's yeah, that's our opening band at Lucy's that day. It's going to be right after that, right? <laughs> I, well, I think it's the Big Star and then Blue Mountain and then us. Great. And then Chuck Prophet will play right after us. Wow. Yeah, so for all of our listeners, this is going to be a great, great show. And by way of transition, um, and we'll let Pat take it away. So my big time copy of Out of the Gray... Um, I had all of you guys sign it at the Continental Drifters that I show that I, I came to see you guys at in LA. And I brought this copy to have Mark signed and I was surprised and pleasantly surprised to see Steve and Dennis in the audience. So um, my original big time copy signed by all three. And you, you stood in for Paul that day. I remember that. 
What's that? Oh, yeah. That's what I like. For Paul. Yeah. I like to joke that I did summon for, for Paul. All right, Pat. I say you take it away because you are a much better speaker than we are. Well, let's, let's jump into this. You know, the, uh, the, the first time I saw the Dream Center, they were opening for REM. So Mark had just joined. Um, but the next time I saw them, they played uh, Scourges in Rochester. And my band, Absolute Grey, was. Uh, the opening act and i spent the next afternoon hanging out with steve and dennis in a hotel room and you know at that time who knew that that this lineup uh the out of the great lineup would would you know play dozens and dozens of shows and i would see them i saw these guys in copenhagen and uh gutaborg anyway all over the place so for for me to do this box set was uh, a much more personal journey than, you know, I, I've reissued the Days of White Roses and I've reissued other Dream Syndicate material. But so for me, this is like, you know, I was there uh, and I wisely had recorded uh, that that Scorgy show to a two-track cassette. And I, I felt so passionate about it that I purposely didn't share it with tape traders. So in other words, it's one of, probably one of the only Dream Syndicate sort of, you know, fanboy bootlegs that has not been on Yapus's website and heard by millions, right? <laughs> um, and I was also, as I say in the lyrics, I was obsessed with it because those songs were so fresh, right? And it, it you know, took the band uh, for a number of reasons a while to put it in the studio. Uh, so anyway, I, I just had a great time uh, doing this. Um, the other thing is, is Dennis really has an amazing archive of Dreams and Cassettes and other tapes. And so Dennis had this thing that I sort of compared to the replacement shit hits the fans. Uh, and I actually thought for, for decades that, that the band was trying to attempt that. What I didn't realize until Dennis set me straight is in between recording real songs for Out of the Gray, the band would play, you know, Pink Floyd or Cream or whatever. But because I heard the tape with all the songs butted against each other, I thought, oh, well, these guys were trying to do that. It didn't quite work, uh, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, and then the other thing that we had was um, the band was still signed to AM when they started Out of the Gray. And so there were all these great demos uh, that were recorded for AM. And, you know, in hindsight, and Mark and I talked about this recently, like, you know, th those sound like just great sort of, you know, indie rock yet major label recordings. And, and you know, frankly, if I was at AM, I would have said, let's just put this fucking thing out as an album. But, you know, K Sera Sera. And then the last thing, and again, this is a story that I tell in the, um, the liner notes. Big time, the label that originally released this album went bust. And the Hoodoo Gurus, who had been, I think, their best selling band by far. Uh, basically bought the entire big time catalog in some sort of lawsuit slash courtroom many, many years ago. Uh, I found out about it in the 90s. I, I sent the Hoodoo Gurus a fax. They said, give me your FedEx number. Anyway, so the Hoodoo Gurus basically gave back the Dreams of their own album uh, and a, a six, what's called a 1630, which is like the world's worst digital master tape. However, this is where the genius of Mark Walton comes back in, where at that last Dream Syndicate show, he said, dude, call Jim Hill 
and have him remaster this album. You know, he engineered it, he recorded it, who better, right? And so it was great to, um, you know, Jim sort of made this album sound as great as it can be, uh, as well as get Jim's memories of uh, recording the album and that kind of thing. So anyway, that's how it all, you know, came to be, to be this box set. Um, but I kind of wanted to talk to these guys because uh, Mark had some interesting memories of, you know, the band basically breaks up and slowly comes back together. And Mark had great memories of all the various guitar players that could have been Paul Cutler, but weren't. So maybe we'll start with that. Sure. Well, you know, uh, as I said in the liner notes that uh, we had auditioned, I think four guitar players, uh, Nils Klein, uh, and um, uh, my roommate, Steve Fryette, uh, and uh, Eddie Munoz from the Plimsolls. Oh. In fact, I don't know if we rehearsed anyone else or auditioned anyone else. Do you remember anyone else? I think that was it. I think, yeah. I think that, so three, three guitar players. And my roommate, I really love, he's a great guitar player and a great amp uh, manufacturer. He, he creates an amp called VHT and now it's under his own name, Fryad Amps. And uh, he's, he's dedicated his life to that, but he still plays and he does great. But he was more of a blues guitar player and didn't really fit that sound. Eddie came in and he, you know, he was a great guy and a good friend and uh, we hoped it would work. And it, it was good, but it just didn't have that magic. And, and as soon as, you know, uh, we got, you know, Nels in, he, he sounded like Paul Cutler. I mean, like, uh, oh. <laughs> like Carl Dakota. Uh, and, and it was like, I, we were trying to find somebody that hopefully would actually bring us to a different place and a different uh, vibe, instead of trying to sound like Days of Wine and Roses or something. And, you know, he was great at it, but uh, as soon as Paul walked in and started playing what Paul plays, we, we knew right then and there that he was the guy. Now, has Niels thanked you for not taking him so that he could join Wilco and, and the chief painting? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I did run into him at a Wilco show here, at, you know, because John Sturt's an old friend, he invited me to the show and we're backstage yeah. and they all came out to visit me. And, um, and I was like, God, it's so great. You know, we have so many good friends. And I totally forgot that he had done that. And he actually is the one who said, what are you talking about? I auditioned for the Dream Syndicate. Are you crazy? You don't remember me? That also was like, like face plant. Like, yes, now I remember. Yeah. Now I remember. Yeah. Um, so, but he didn't insult me. I think he's happy where he is. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, Dennis, you along with Steve are the only two guys that have been in the whole run. Um, and I realize every lineup is a little different, every era, but I wanted to get some of your thoughts on, you know, how this band came together for version number two. Hmm. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm thinking back to what Mark said and remembering those auditions. And, and I, you know, I had, we had the same take. I think we all had the same feeling that we wanted something uh, different, but but nobody was quite clicking until Paul came in. And of course, you know, we had a history with Paul, uh, you know, recording that very first EP. And then I had a history with him before that as well. So, I mean, he was kind of part of the family already in a way. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, I think that made an even better fit, um, you know, as the guitar player, but 
you know, and I, gosh, I was just listening again to this package today. I mean, I've listened to it a few times, but I mean, I'm just struck by how his guitar playing just makes it. I mean, the songs are great, the band's sounding good, but he is, he's the star for me of that album. He, uh, he just, he, his playing is so compositional mm. and so thoughtful and so beautiful and delicate at times and powerful when it needs to be. And he just, he had a perfect ear for, uh, for playing just the right thing for those songs. So, uh, I mean, I think he, he, the band really just took off in a great direction with him. Yeah. Uh, now this next question is for Steve. So, you know, in Carl's final days, there's, there's two songs, Dancing Blind and Blood Money that, that Carl had, had played on. And, and I was able to find, I believe the only recordings available of Carl playing those. So the band breaks up and then months later, you've got this pile of new songs. So you were obviously doing a hell of a lot of songwriting because it seems like right out of the gate, Paul joins and you guys have a, a, almost a full repertoire of new, new stuff. Yeah, and, and like you say, um, uh, can you hear me okay? I, I, I changed my input volume. Is it, is it better now? Yeah, it's fine. Nope. Yep. Um, yeah, like I said, I mean, when we, right before we split apart from Carl, um, we had Dancing Blind and I guess Blood Money, where we did both those songs, Dancing Blind for sure, and also a song called Witness that Carl and I had written together. So we had a few things, but not much at all. So as I remember, you know, we kind of broke up that first time around the end of 84, when Paul joined was maybe February or March, maybe March of the next year. There weren't, all, yeah, there weren't all those new songs. And I think what happened there is just the excitement of us playing together and how well we fit with Paul inspired me just to write a bunch of songs and to write songs for a band I was excited about. Because there's no, you know, that, I mean, you can write songs in a vacuum, obviously you can write songs just sitting around for yourself. But when you're in a band that has a sound you're kind of digging, at least in my case, it makes me want to write for it because like, man, with this sound, I can imagine all these kinds of songs that I hadn't written before. So they were really different, very different sounding songs than the ones on Days of Wine and Roses or on Medicine Show. They were kind of, um, I think, maybe a little more pop, a little more compact and somehow seemed like they would fit what Paul was bringing to our sound. Yeah, I mean, if, if you consider that, like you said, you guys start uh, in the spring with Paul, when you hit Scorgies in July, you, you've got almost a whole album of new material that you guys are playing. And the, and the other thing I love about it is that uh, there's very few bands, whether they're an indie rock band or, or well-known established band, that tour and, and, and play new material that no one else is, you know, in other words, I love the fact that, that the set was all this new stuff, plus a new guitar player, you know. Um, it was exciting, you know, to ha ha have a, a new sound, a new, you know, a bunch of songs. Why not go out and play them all? Yeah, yeah. No, it was awesome. It was awesome. Um, and look, I mean, part of this whole thing, too, is that, you know, I, 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 I'm not speaking out of school here when I say that the last, say, half year of the band, Pretty much the time Mark joined the band. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, speaking we, we out of school, up. we'll never know what he said. Well, we, we, we actually did. We kind of froze up. You know, we, we went on tour <laughs> with R.E.M. <laughs> <laughs> <Still here. laughs> 
But no, it, it was it was a, it was a fun tour. We had a good time, but you know, of course, you know, between Steve and Carl, they had some issues. Well, it was a fun tour. We did, you know, being on being on tour, um, being on tour with REM was great. Going to Europe for the first time was amazing, and so many great stories. But it also was kind of there was some fighting going on. It was and it was also uh, for on my for for my own story, probably more than I ever did before or since, and that was probably tying into the frustration I was feeling maybe that I wasn't getting along with Carl, all this, all this in the middle of a very, a lot of fun and very memorable things. But once that all went away and we started playing with Paul, it was just kind of, oh, all happiness, all excitement. And the title of the song, I mean, the song Out of the Gray is me writing about that. It's, that whole song is about, you know, all these weird, dark, fuzzy times were in the past, but now it's a new beginning. It was very nakedly about what I was feeling and what the band represented to me at that time. It's like, yeah, we're having fun. We're we're having a ball playing together and playing this new music, and it's kind of like a rebirth. Yeah. The other interesting thing, just from a record collector nerd factor, if you go to Discogs, big time, probably because they were you know, relatively small label, they licensed this individually to every territory under the sun, right? So there's theoretically like 30 different versions of out of the gray versus let's say two or three versions of days of wine and roses two or three versions of medicine show you know so there's every territory had its own thing and i and i think they're yeah anyway so that, so that's neither here nor there but it's just kind of interesting to see how many you know the band's popularity had soared to the fact that the spanish want to press this record themselves the italians want to do it themselves the australians the germans uh so, you know, Jeff, I know you're the world's biggest nerd record collector. You, you got a lot of buying to do. Uh, <laughs> obviously, there's no major variations between <laughs> any of these, but uh, nevertheless, there you go. Um, the other thing that happens during this time period is, you know, you guys start to, to actually, you, you know, the Dream Scene had started off playing covers, but, but didn't really record that many of them uh, in the early days. And so... You know, there's a there's Cinnamon Girl, which has an official release. Let It Rain, which has an official release. Uh, you know, the Alice Cooper thing, which is out on a forced exposure seven inch. Uh, so, so I love the fact that there's all this playfulness happening that isn't so much reflected in the first couple of albums or, or even the albums that came later. Well, I think in, I think right in the first two albums, we were just recording the songs we went in to record and nothing else. There were no you know, in Days of Wine and Roses and Medicine Show, there was, I don't think there was a single other song recorded besides what you hear on the record. Right, Dennis? Right. No extra that's, that's what I remember, yeah. Yeah. I don't think there were, yeah, no extra We had, well, more originals than we even needed. And then, yeah, we, we and tell me, Mark, and Dennis, if I'm, if I'm wrong my memory here, but did we go into the session saying, let's run the, the, um, two-track tape and record everything? Or did we decide that during the session? Was it yeah, we, we told Jim at the beginning, it's like, just have a quarter inch tape running no matter what in between songs. That way, if we start doing something, make sure you capture it. So that's what you hear, all those weird little uh, covers. And, you know, they, they kind of fall apart sometimes. Sometimes they're, they get really inventive and, and spontaneous and just go where it needs to go and it was fun yeah, and, and i'm glad we captured it some of it was uh, 
Go ahead, Dennis. Go, oh, Steve. No, go ahead. I'm going apart. Steve I said nothing. Oh, no, is that Pat? Pat was. <laughs> yeah, I'll just I'll just tell the again for the nerds. Uh, what wound up on this box set in terms of those covers is only like about one fifth. Um, it just Dennis and I sort of painstakingly listened to the covers and we more or less agreed uh, to trim them way down. And then Jim Hill, God bless him, said, I'm not allowing this piece of shit on this record. I can't even remember what the song was. So, you know, we picked our favorites. Well, yeah, we picked and, our, and, we know, picked these, our these favorites. songs are a little rough around the edges as well, but yeah. it, I just thought it was really fun to have that on there. Um, you know, and I also appreciate that, you know, you know, Steve had final veto power, but when I played this for him, he he didn't remove even one song, which which was which which was cool. Um, you know, just recently, I, I did um, mm -hmm. um, this this friend of yours, Pat, who's writing that book about Pink Floyd and about Dark Side of the Moon in particular, um, and and you set me up with writing the um, an essay for him, which is going to be the forward to the book. So from doing that, this has happened like in the last month. I kind of went on Dark Side of the Moon bender for a couple of days. You know, good records, it turns out. And um, and I got in, was right into um, Brain Damage, a song that we that we do on there. And I was kind of walking down down through Queens, listening to Pink Floyd's original version of Brain Damage. And then went back to ours, like, oh man. I mean, it's not surprising, but I've got all the words wrong. I was kind of cringing at how many because I don't. I'm, we, we weren't trying to do perfect covers. We weren't saying, okay, everybody learn this song by Tuesday. We're going to record it. We're just doing it spontaneously. And sure, Pink Brain Damage by Pink Floyd's somewhere in the back of my mind from hearing it as a teenager. And I'm, I'm kind of surprised I got as many words as I did. But man, you know, hearing it now, I was like, ah, oh, damn, I wish I knew all the words when I, we recorded it. But hey, that's, that's interpretation. Um, I wanted to draw, try to get, uh, I don't know how many times, uh, the band members here have listened to the Scorgies thing. You know, there's so many amazing versions of John Cone Train Stereo Blues I've heard through the years. There was even a, a fanboy CDR about 15 years ago that collected a bunch. But, and I'm not just saying this because we used it. This is one of the most amazing John Cole Trains I've ever heard. And, and it definitely made an impression on Steve because the very next day in the hotel room, we're still talking about it. Um, I was just curious if any of you guys have had a chance to really listen to this uh, and had any impressions whatsoever, whatsoever about that particular version. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a great version. It's, it's, it's right away was one of my favorites. So I agree. It's, it's, it's a, it's a special version. Definitely. I mean, there's a lot of great versions of that song over the years, but that's particularly good one. I'm, I'm really glad it got captured. And I honestly, I haven't really listened to it in depth, so I can't comment on it. Now, I will say this, when the box set was released and, and me being the producer, I also work for Fire Records to put this out. They said, can you pick a few songs to be the teasers? And I begged and pleaded for this to be the teaser and the powers of, he said, we can't have a 20 minute <laughs> 15 minutes or whatever the hell it was but you know i thought like man this will blow some minds but there you go well right after our last album having the first single be 20 minutes why not yeah exactly exactly um, Jeff, 
Jeff, you must you must have a few more questions you want to th throw here at the team. Um, yeah, so um, one of the questions I had for you, Pat. Um, so when you saw the band at Scorgies and you had you've seen the band plenty of plenty of times over the years, um, what do you what do you remember about that particular performance? And thank you for finally well, releasing this performance. Okay, so I, I had seen the band once before. I'd seen them or twice. I'd seen the REM tour a year before. So that tour not only includes Mark as the new guy, it also had uh, Tommy Zevincheck on piano. Um, and, and, uh, and, and of course, the band were playing relatively short sets because they were opening for REM. And, um, you know, I was one of those guys where I, I liked the Medicine Show. You know, like the Medicine Show was a very controversial record, right? I, I now love it, but watching it live, I was kind of, do I like this? Do I not like this? You know, I, I, I had a lot of mixed feelings of those shows. So when the Dream Symphony played this small club show and I knew there was a new guitar player, whatever, I, I came in with no expectations other than I, you know, I basically love what these guys do. But, but to see Paul Cutler not really knowing who the hell he was other than some guy had been in 45 Grave, a band that I never listened to, coupled with all the songs it was just really fucking mind-blowing and again i think a little bit of that energy is reflected in my conversation with steve that i just briefly reproduced which is where the two of us are kind of nerding out with each other on what is the future of this band and where is it going and does it fit in with fm rock or is it indie rock you know it's a really incredible time for the band uh, and then, like I said, you know, I, I wound up moving to Europe around the same time the band traveled through Europe. Uh, I saw several shows of the, the final, you know, the, it's, it's just those Paul Cutler years are amazing. And I'm really hoping that this box, because there's always these people that say, oh, you know, it was all over after the days of my roses, which is utter horseshit. And, and I think this box between the remastered original album and the live album, you know, uh, I've had several, you know, people write to me and said, okay, okay, I get it now. I really get it. Yeah. And Pat, I, I, I'll join in. I, I, when I was asked by Carl to come in and play with the Dream Syndicate, it was the, the medicine show that sold me, mm -hmm. you know, Days of Wine and Roses. I liked, I've heard it. And I was like, yeah, it's good. But it wasn't until I heard medicine show, I thought, okay, now they're showing depth and they're showing some interest. And that just attracted me to the band even more. So, and it's it's shocking. I mean, people are just total fanboys about Days of Wine and Roses, and I get it. But I think every album we've made since, and, and including all those, are totally different, and they they all have their own uh, gems and their own reality. They don't just you can't compare one album to another. Okay, I mean, Ghost Story, Ghost Story, still with Paul is a totally different album than this album. In every, Absolutely. Every it's much more of a rock record. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So Mark, I loved the way that you talked about these new guitar players coming in and that discussion there. So Dennis, I had a question for you with Mark coming in and I think Mark, this, so this is your first studio album with Dream Syndicate um, out of yes. the gray. So Dennis, how did you feel with um, this new rhythm section and I'm a huge Mark Walton fan, so so Dennis, how was it? You better for you? say something good then. <laughs> you, I'm, I'm not trying cool. to lead you down a certain uh, way, but Mark, how yeah. was it for you with Mark coming in? Um, and uh, well, God, you know what can I say? <laughs> Mark's right here. Hey, hold so on. I, I, take no. my I love Mark. 
Uh, oh, there you go. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know him, you know, so personally, so I just knew him, you know, in terms of what he was playing uh, with the band at rehearsals. And I, I liked what he was playing a lot. And it was, it was a big transition after Dave, um, who was, was an amazing bass player, uh, a nutty guy, but a fun guy. But uh, I mean, I think, I think as we rehearsed with Mark, um, I just grew to like him more and more. And, and really, he really grounded the band with his, the style that he played. I mean, he still does. So it's, it was so perfect. Plus, it was just what we needed. Let's not, um, folks, Mark was totally yeah. hot, right? He had this big blonde hair. He had, he had the little yeah. kerchief. He had oh, the yeah, little that's thing true. wrapped around well, his neck. Yeah. I mean, this, this guy was like 80s hot. Right. He really was. Yeah. He was even in a, uh, got it, got a beer commercial. That. Yes, we we, we can touch, touch on that. Most fans don't know the beer commercial story. Right? Yeah. I don't know Correct. this. This yeah, I, 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 I was asked by a friend that worked at uh, Warner Brothers if, if I wanted to audition for a Coors commercial. And I said, sure, but I, I've never done it before. There was an open call, just go down there. And I went down there, there was like hundreds and hundreds of people lining up and I got in there and I, they said, well, what's your name? I said, Mark, and they're filming me. And uh, they said, well, where's your instrument? I said, I didn't know I was supposed to bring one. So they actually, you know, I did an air guitar or air bass kind of thing, and and they, I got a call back, and then I got a third call back, and then they called me back to do a fitting, and so it, we played a rock band. I played myself uh, as a rock band going up to the Rocky Mountains, which was Griffith Park, and and Hollywood, uh, in a limousine. We drove up, and you know, we got to the stage, a big crowd of people and we ran out of the, the limousine jumped on stage and we we lip synced to brown sugar of all songs and uh, th that's it at the end we we're all you know clashing beer cans together with the logo facing at the tv and drinking them and but i made a lot of money at it. <laughs> bravo bravo yeah it was great i was getting like three thousand dollar checks every couple weeks and i was very happy very wow. cool. So I had a wow. question about the format of the Out of the Gray record. So Fire Records releases the gatefold of the vinyl record, which is good, which is really good. But then you release this three CD box set that Pat's talking about. Mm -hmm. And um, I have to say that Jim Hill did an amazing job. I know Paul's thoughts on his original um, cut for big time, but what Jim did for this this sounds incredible you guys so i don't know how was it for you guys hearing this new remastered version for the first time after comparing it to big time in my opinion like this is light years better than the original yeah. big time it, it, it's definitely much better than it was you know and, and, and the problem with the, the the original recording is where we mixed it it was a brand new solid state uh, you know, studio. It was not tube. It was all just digital and, you know, all these fancy uh, new digital reverbs and stuff. And, and we got sucked into this whole thing and uh, we weren't ready for it. And, and, and we, we, we kind of regret some of the, you know, textures and some of the sounds that we got in the, in the mixing. But Jim actually pulled it back out and made it more listenable. And it's, it's, it's a much better uh, presentation now i mean I, I always say that 
if you listen to pretty much any band from that time, like say 1985, is like the 80, 85, 86, whether it's all, all of our contemporaries at the time, REM, The Replacements, um, you know, of course, the other Paisley bands as well. We all had that sound. That was the sound of the moment. And it just, you couldn't avoid it. And the only bands who really avoided it at that time were bands that had no budget. So like, I love records by say, the Meat Puppets or Husker Du, because they were making those records so fast. And for SST, were you know, notoriously cheap. Those records actually sound fantastic now because I mean- <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> everybody, I love Life's Rich Pageant and Document, and I love Tim and, and uh, Please to Meet Me. They're all, all these, and um, I'm thinking just scraping the surface, but all these other bands around the country, I love the, the three o'clock record and Bengals records, but we, that sound was the sound. We all got somehow sucked into it. It's like we all drank some weird Kool-Aid for a couple of years before we came to our senses. And it's nice that on the issue, that element of the sound is largely stripped away. It's like, oh yeah, now it just sounds like a band playing music. So major kudos to Jim on that. That was- I, I also want to mention, since this is the Paisley yeah. News Hour, uh, I kind of forget that Jim worked on this record because I really think of Jim as the rain parade guy. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the explosions in the glass palace after David Roback leaves, that's engineered and co-produced with Jim. And I, you know, long, almost lifelong friends with Matt Pugin and Stephen Roback. So I always heard about Jim's genius from them. And of course the sound of, let's say the song, No Easy Way Down. Uh, so, you know, so, and in fact, the recent Rain Parade recordings are also, you know, they still work with Jim. Uh, so yeah, Jim, Jim's quite a remarkable guy. And, and again, not usually mentioned in the history of the Paisley Underground, but his, his Rain Parade uh, connections alone, he's, he's part, part of the whole history of, of the scene. Here's a question. I don't really remember this. Why did we choose Jim? Was it, was it because that we liked the Rain Parade stuff? Was he a friend? I don't remember, were we hanging out with him at the time? Well, I, I I knew them, but but I I didn't actually know him well. Uh, I mean, he was working with Wall of Voodoo a lot at that time. I actually was uh, brought in to try to do their live sound, so I had a deal with Jim on that because he was the one who was judging, <laughs> if if that's a question. Um, and they rehearsed at my studio a lot too, so I I would see them a lot. I don't think it was me though that suggested Jim, but when this, when I heard his name, I went, yeah, Jim's great. Probably me because I think probably I like the sound of the Rain Parade records. That sounds, if I have to kind of whatever little flicker of my memory is happening right there, I, th- I think that must have been because you know those were great sounding records. Those, those you know, especially the the, the first album, the first and the second, the first EP, um, um, or you know, Emergency. Yeah, Explo- Explo- Yeah, he didn't have anything to do with Emergency, but Explosions just has an incredible sound. Like I said, especially that song No Easy Way Down or or Blue or or you know it. It's just, that's a great sounding record. And, uh, you know, like I said, Matt Pucci has been singing his praises since the day that record came out. So yeah, Jim. And, and the other thing about Jim is that I would have never met Carlo Nuccio from the Continental Drifters without Jim, because he hired him as our drum tech for that session. So I now, thank Jim. Wanna, I was gonna say, are you sure you want to thank him or <laughs> blame him? <laughs> yeah, but no. Carlo is, uh, you know, he's a an interesting fellow, and he's a very old dear friend, and well, so I'm I'm very happy to have had that connection from Jim. 
I got to say about Carlo, because Carlo has another connection that isn't talked about much. Carlo was in Stephen Roback's Viva Saturn band uh, ever so briefly. Uh, he was also a drummer in the Rain Parade briefly, too. Right. And he yeah. when I when I heard him play with with Roback, it was like hearing John Bonham intersect with the rain parade it was i know he fit in really well though. he fit in well and then the other genius about that guy and i told him this to his face at the, at the wild honey band show this is the only guy on the planet who can play like john bonham and sing like levon hill i mean i, I love the guy's voice as well as his drumming. he's, he's really a, a freak of nature in many ways Good point. yes here's the carlo hello <laughs> All right, so I have another question. Yeah. Maybe this is directed to Pat or the band. I don't know, but the presentation of what can I say is just fantastic in this in this book format. Um, Soraya and I have talked about this, but it's it's gorgeous. This presentation, I absolutely uh, love it. Well, this, when, um, when it's when very I, fantastic. So when who, I first started working for Fire, uh, long before I knew I would be doing this project, they sent me these Burt Yanch collections that were in the same packaging and first of all I'm, I'm the world's biggest you know British folk fan but I, I I made a mental note of the packaging and so when I came up with the idea to, to do this I said we have to have that packaging now the design is this guy Alex Hornsby who works for fire and Alex also came up with this this great cover that that you're going to see for the new dream syndicate album um, and Steve and I, you know, talked about different designers and, and images and we kind of let Alex do his thing. And then I came up with the idea to have Steve supply some of Steve's a great iPhone photographer. He's the Ansel Adams of the iPhone. Um, so we gave um, we gave Alex a bunch of, of uh, photos that Steve had taken over the last year or two. And Alex magically, you know, weaved those into the to the new album. But yeah, he's He's really deserves the credit in terms of the, the the vibe of this. You know, it's it's really his his vision, his talent. You know, uh, I, I love the cover photo. I had never seen anything but the one that was chosen for the original out of the gray. So it was nice to see uh, alternates. Oh well, also in terms of alternate photos, Dennis Duck here has a state of Texas uh, file. I mean, giant Texan size file of photos clippings i mean almost everything you see in here is from dennis and a few little nuggets maybe i had but yeah dennis is really the the, the visual or the ephemera i should say ephemera archivist i like um, that word yeah thank you yeah yeah um so, ephemera. <laughs> yeah I, I have a huge audio collection of of dream syndicate stuff but but yeah dennis is really the uh paper goods guy um yeah we had fun going through all that stuff that was yeah, i hadn't then, looked i hadn't looked through it in a long time so i'm glad we and, did and that bringing, bringing it through full circle here for example bill c who had a great band called divine weeks in the 80s that that dennis played drums on the album and steve released it on down there there's a bill c review from like the music connection or right. something that effect uh there's me and my earliest nerd fanboy. I happen to be living in Denmark when the band plays Roskilde. And, and that's kind of a funny story that maybe the band themselves can tell, which is they're on tour in Italy. 
Roskilde is a is like Glastonbury. It happens every year in Denmark. Very, very big bands with a few smaller ones. And the, the British band, The Cult, were supposed to play on Saturday night. It was the spot. It's like 10 p.m., right? There's 20,000 people. They're drunk as fuck. And then instead of The Cult, out comes the Dream Syndicate. I, I, I'll let these guys, maybe they have some memories of that. Oh yeah, yeah. You go ahead, Steve. I mean, well, the the, the, the backstory from what you what you said, Pat, is that we were on tour at the time in Italy, and it was a Thursday, and we were playing a show on, on on Thursday in Italy, and we got the call: Do you guys want to, or can you guys play Roskilde on Saturday, two days later? I mean, we're playing a show, and we're playing every night in Italy, and we thought, you know, somehow, you know, a lot of these things. If, you, if that kind of thing happened now, I'd be able to tell you every detail, who said what and how it happened. Back then, just things sort of happened. Maybe management talked to labels, but they asked us, we said, sure, why not? So we had to obviously cancel a couple of Italian shows, flew up to, to Copenhagen and made the one hour drive. Now, I think we knew we were gonna, we knew we were gonna be replacing the cult. And I think we knew we were headlining the big stage, not sure, but I think that was also told to us, but we just took things in stride back then. We didn't think, Sure, I think we're doing. You know, I think if that would happen now, I wouldn't get nervous per se, but I think a lot about, okay, guys, we got to be on top of our game because you know this is a big break, man. You have no idea how what this could do. Back then, we said, sure, why not? And we showed up at Roskilde. I'm not kidding. One hour before our set time, and someone just led us from the van to a backstage. We probably had a few beers and whiskeys, and hurriedly wrote a set list. Went on stage, and there was. 50,000 people watch us play. And, you know, if you, you know, playing festivals is kind of a crapshoot because you don't always have control over the situation. You're hoping the monitors are good. Usually you're not using your own equipment. You're using whatever they have there. So it can go really badly or it can go really well. This was one of those times where everything was great. The gear was great. We were in, we were too frenzied to be nervous. Um, the monitor guy did his job and the crowd was wild. I think, I think, the guy in that pad, I know you, you had the recording, and I think the guy introduced the band says something along the lines of, these guys came all the way from Italy to fill in for the cult. So, you know, he set us up as the great heroes of the situation. So the crowd was on our side right away. So everything combined, I mean, holy cow. It just was one of those, we've, none of us have ever played that many people before, so probably never will again. And yet it was just so easy and so much fun. Yeah, and, and I would argue that one of the reasons you remain so popular in Scandinavia to this day is the people that were in the, you know, it was it was almost better than being on TV, right? Like there's 30, 40, 50,000 Swedes, Danes, Norwegians, they're right there. And they kind of, you know, have stayed loyal uh, decades later through your solo career, back through the Dream City, whatever. I mean, that really puts you on the map in that part of the world, you know? Dennis, what do you remember about it? Wasn't it pouring rain? Yes. Just, right when we started just, playing, uh, yeah. Just let it rain or whatever. amount of rain. That's kind of what I, I mean, I remember a lot of what Steve's talking about, but I really remember the rain for some reason, you know, just. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure I have to say here, that it, when we played, it may was, was drizzling, but when we finished, we came off stage and then it came down, down for, and the band that oh. followed we were the mop-up band, the band they put on like to close the night out while people left and also while people 
got out of the rain was giant sand. That, oh. that, yeah, I was there. So I'll say this with all due respect to how the crowd had dispersed, right? Partially because of the rain, they, it was late. And, and so it was a little like Hendrix mopping up at Woodstock, right? <laughs> it's, like, it's like how probably thought to himself, now the last time I checked, there were 50,000 people here cheering. Now there's 10,000 and they, and they look like washed out rug rats, you know? <laughs> um, and, it, and it was just luck that I was living in Copenhagen at that time. Uh, Steve and I were already friends, but, you know, pre-cell phone, pre-internet, like he had no idea I was there. And I made a couple half-hearted attempts to reach him through, through like Roskeld's management. They're like, I don't know who the fuck you are, kid, but stop calling, you know? <laughs> so, but, uh, but then the band came back in the fall and played Mamatra, which is this legendary Copenhagen jazz club with these giant photos of Coltrane and Miles. Uh, and because of the Roskilde show, Danish TV came and did like a 10 minute news article on the Dream Syndicate. And there, there is, you know, if there's ever the, actually I think about this Dream Syndicate uh, documentary he should, he should try to find out if this anyone saw this footage. Danish TV showed it. I think I'm even in this dancing around. But that was like a news article. The Dream Syndicate have returned from Roskilde. You know, kind of, kind of funny. I just, I just thought of this now. I, it just occurred to me uh, about that. So. Ah, excellent. We're, so we're still hoping for this Dream Syndicate documentary to get wrapped up here. So hopefully, hopefully this gets to see the public some someday soon i've been in touch just the last week with emil who's doing work on it he claims he will have it done by august that's his kind of his he's oh he's pretty good about that so um fingers crossed excellent that's great news steve thanks for that it's like All apocalypse right. now he's mortgaging his house against the completion bond for the film uh <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have a couple minutes left before we let you guys go. Again, congrats on this. It's it's fantastic. If anybody doesn't have this, and good news, Pat, that um that there's gonna be more copies pressed up because it's it looks fantastic. It sounds fantastic. I'm super excited about this release, you guys. So congrats on that. Um, Ultraviolet Battle Hymns and True Confessions coming out soon. Um, can we expect a tour backing up this record? Oh, it's, it's already booked and we're going to be announcing the tour dates early April. And we, everything, we have entire U.S. and European tour in place. I can tell you right now, we are playing L.A. at the end of July. And I, and I can't say where right now, but we, it's all happening. Uh -huh. I think Saturday of July, something like that, or last Thursday of July, around that time. All right. It's so the forum opening up for the Eagles. It's going to be incredible. Great. <laughs> 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 Soraya, are you hearing this? We, yeah. I, I love everything I'm hearing right now. <laughs> Soraya, any last questions before we let these guys go? I just want to ask Mark, Dennis, and Steve, uh, what's off of this beautiful album, Remastered, what's the one song that you really enjoy listening to now? From, uh, we're hearing well, again. I'll take a shot first. Um, it's funny because I just listened to it again today, and I uh, listened to it. Just, uh, I didn't play every song. I just kind of picked my favorites. 
And so I did out of the gray, forest for the trees, slide away, um, and um, uh, dying embers. And I just love all those songs. And I just, and they're all so different. And I, I was listening to Dying Embers thinking, God, this is so different for the Dream Sending, but it's such a beautiful song that's so well executed. And it's such a pleasure to hear, you know. Um, and, and Dying Embers, you know, is kind of a poppy song, but a really solid, beautiful song. I, you know, I, th this package has really reminded me of what a good album this is. I'd kind of put it in the back of my mind as well. This is maybe my favorite Dream Syndicate album, um, but now it's it's back up there. I mean, it's just, the songs are great. The sound of it is excellent. And anyway, the, I won't go on, but those were the songs I kind of picked out to listen to today, so. I agree with you 100% on that, Dennis. I was, I'm the same way. It wasn't my favorite record, but since this has come out, it's like, I can't stop listening to this. It sounds fantastic. What Jim has done, Jim Hill has done with this is amazing. So it makes yeah. it sound timeless now to me. Mm -hmm. This version. Agreed. All right. All right, Mark, what about you on Soraya's question? You know, I'd love to hear those original demos that we did for AM, you know, the slide away and, uh, Blood Money and uh, just some great songs in there. And I, I just like the, the sound of it uh, a lot. I'm, I'm really happy to hear those versions of the songs. Yeah, that third disc is fantastic. I have so much fun. That's just a really, really fun listen going through that third disc. So thank okay. you, Dennis. Thank you, Pat, for, for compiling that, curating that. It's just fantastic. And to hear that this is only one fifth of, that's the part that blows my mind yeah yeah, yeah. well the, right. the other the other uh fifths are uh those will blow your mind in a different direction <laughs> <laughs> all right fair enough i'm fair still enough. curious i'm still curious uh, i'm sure you are, I'm sure you are. We'll, talk, we'll talk later we'll talk later <laughs> all right Steve, what about you is you can't forget i i really yes. hadn't thought forever and i don't think i don't think we've ever played that live am i am i wrong about that i don't think i don't know i think we have played it a couple times but not not a lot i want to play that live because i, I really it's, it's really came you know, it's, it's, it's sort of an oddball it's, it's not like anything else on the album and i think just i don't know what was behind that we hadn't been playing it live before and didn't after but it's a pretty cool song so you know what you know what I love about that song, Steve and everybody, and you're right, and I should have mentioned that one too, because that's one of my favorites now. It's unlike all the other songs, it's it's so easygoing. It's such mm -hmm. a light, um, casual, I mean, it's just, and it's, it's not trying hard to sound like anything. It's just so approachable and so pleasing. It's, to me, it's, it's, the, it's the easiest song on the album in that sense. And it's interesting that Paul sounds like Mark Knopfler on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Very wow. True. yeah. Wow. Uh, thank you guys so much. We really appreciate it. Pat, thanks for leading this discussion today. Okay, and I, I have to give the fans just one more little tidbit here since Dennis talked quite a bit about um, Dying Embers. Okay. There is a and this is really Mark's news more than mine because he told me. Is it Carolyn Carter? Diane Embers? Carlene Carter. Yeah, I, 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 Carter. before we recorded the dream set, Steve and I wrote that song. 
and I, I didn't know it was ever going to be used. So I went in the studio and I recorded a version of it with Carlene singing. Good. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting listen. Someday yeah. maybe I'll, I'll, there's a, there's I'll a let mid, people in. Mid-fi uh, MP3 floating around the world. Mid-fi. Oh, very intrigued. Soraya's taking notes, so I yes. know what that. I know what that. <laughs> I know what that means. All yeah. right, she, she's going to be coming knocking on my door any day, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it's not too far of a trip to Las Vegas, Soraya. <laughs> All right, you guys, thank you so much. Good thank luck you. at South by Southwest, and again, congratulations on. Um, we Ronnie Barnett said, make sure that you I focus on this because I know you guys are going to talk a little bit about the new record. But I need to hear as much as possible about this set because, like us, he's a big, huge fan. So, thank cool. you guys for taking time to talk about this and congrats on the new record. Good We're fun. looking forward to it. And at some venue in LA, we'll see you um, in uh, performing. And all over the world, you guys will be performing. So we're looking forward to that April announcement on these new shows. Again, congratulations to all of you, and thank you so much. Thank Great. you, guys. Great to see you guys. Thank okay. you. Bye bye. All right, you guys. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye. Have a safe trip. Be safe. Thanks. Will do. Bye-bye. Soraya, what can I say? No regrets on having these guys on. None. None. Absolutely. Uh, fantastic. Having all three of these guys, um, the, the entire band minus Paul Cutler doing this, and I'm not joking when I said um, what how I feel about Jim Hill's remastering of out of the gray yeah. um this just sounds so much better we talked offline um like dennis said um out of the gray was one of those records that i listened to and i thought okay um and most of the time it's sat on the shelf but this just brings it to a whole new life and steve was spot on when he talked about that period of production and we've talked about that over 160 episodes of different things that have come up in some records during that time period, including many from the Paisley Underground, where production um, had a very unique sound, um, which is very specific to that time period. Right. And not so much timeless, but this, this, this version on here of Out of the Gray is just blew my mind, Soraya, when it came off the CD player over here. I have speakers around my room right here. When when this version came out, out of these speakers, I could not believe it was like listening to an an entire new record. And although I was familiar with Out of the Gray, it just sounded fantastic. Um, highly recommend this, and it's a beautiful, beautiful set. So so cool to hear these guys talk about it and the excitement. You hear Dennis talking about about his excitement of this release and listening to it and just how, how it sounds and it just pops right out of the speakers kudos to jim hill oh a hundred percent hundred percent and i mean you and i you know we were really fortunate to have jim on with us early on and i think you and i both learned a lot and jim hill just has a very great ear and a good vision for caring for finding the sound that the band needs to sound like and bringing it uh, to fruition. I mean, there were a lot of really interesting things that came out. And I think Mark and Dennis and Steve, as well as Pat really reminded us, there's a lot of good on this album. And I think 
because someone gave it the due attention that it needed, you know, because we know about kind of the transition and the, the shift that was happening in the band at that time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the original release, you know, listen, okay, good listen, and then shelve it. But there's so much that comes out here and I cannot thank Pat Thomas enough Yes. For not trading the tape of that Scorgy show and leaving it here to really, I mean, enjoy it. Um, that set is just really interesting. But for me, the kicker is that third CD with all these. To me, I remember looking at the looking at the list, thinking to myself. This is an odd collection. Yes. However, some of these covers, for example, the one that that um, caught my attention. There were, I mean, there's a lot of them, but for me, it was um, sixteen ways. Oh. And then um, Green I ain't red. got nobody. Oh. I ain't got nobody. The Santana cover. But I mean, there's some real standouts here. And, and of course, Papa was a Rolling Stone and a low rider. I mean, <laughs> do you have that, that 45? It says it was released as a 45. No, I don't have that. Forced exposure 45. If no. someone has that, I want, I want to know. I want to know. Forced exposure 45. I'm pretty but, sure um, Pat does. So we'll have to. Oh, of, hit, hit well, that. of course. But for me, it's that third CD that really kind of gives me a lot more dimension of the band. And I mean, you and I have talked a lot about bands and covers and, you know, <laughs> but what really kind of blew my mind was, was uh, Steve Wynn saying, I now realize I was singing the words wrong. <laughs> How great was that? <laughs> Brain damage. I was thinking, I was, I was singing it wrong. Um, so to me, it was just, I learned a lot today. I mean, what, um, between Dennis Duck and all the archival items that are here, plus um, Pat Thomas's copious notes and um, his liner notes for this. I learned a lot, but talking with the band, I learned a lot more. So I was really enjoying the conversation. Um, but one of the things that, um, I think Dennis said it and Mark said it as well, that this was an exciting time with Paul Cutler in the band. And, and that movement, that shift, you know, and for Steve to say, um, out of the gray is kind of a talk of a rebirth, um, just a different energy, a different approach, a different movement. Dennis Duck said early on about the upcoming album, and I found it just echoing a lot in the discussion about Out of the Gray, he said it's a new step forward. And it, you and I, Jeff, have talked off the air, and we've talked on air as well, about how Dream Syndicate seems to constantly reinvent themselves. Like there's something that gets introduced and they start going in, in a different direction. Then, you know, um, like with the last release, 
uh, you know, um, I think Steve said, we just pressed play and we started playing. And then boom, you know, and, you know, one take wonders, this new single is a one take wonder. But I, I think there's, there have been so many moments where, like Dennis Suck said, it's a new step forward. The band has taken some very bold steps forward. And then, you know, to think about it, this is a band that took a huge hiatus and then came back with another bold step forward. Yeah, incredible. And, you know, I, I know Pat said, you know, it's, you know, here's a record nerd moment, but I just love the passion of the fans that have these things and share them. And it just goes to show, you know, there's always something new to discover. So I can't thank Mark Walton, Dennis Duck, and Steve Wynn, and Pat Thomas um, enough for coming on because I learned a lot and I appreciate it even more. And when, 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 Jeff, has have you ever heard the words so easygoing, approachable, and pleasing? When have you heard so easygoing related to a dream syndicate song? Only tonight. I, I mean, it's because we know them as the guys that will add on, you know, a 20-minute version of uh, John Coltrane's Terry Blue. I mean, we know that, but easygoing. I loved when he said it. Yes. Because I said, yes. Yes. Andy. Bravo. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be looking for two things. Thank you, Mark Walton. One, that version of him and Carlene Carter. Yes. Dying Ember. And the Coors commercial. Yes. I'm looking for it. No yes. joke. Because yes. I got to see <laughs> how it went from air guitar to playing guitar and, you know, clinking uh, Coors cans after playing after lip syncing brown sugar cheers yeah here here let's go cheers just like yeah that was fantastic oh man so listeners um please go to Bandcamp, check out dream syndicate um by time this airs there's probably going to be sounds like more copies i'm glad to hear um it sounded like the first run uh, sold out really quickly as far as we could tell so Go check this out. And also, they're taking pre-orders for the new album that's been coming out in a couple months. Ultra new Bass. tour. New tour date. And yes. if you're in Austin or going to be in Austin for South by Southwest, damn, I want to hear that Alex Chilton tribute show. Yes. And Lucy's exactly. Fried Chicken. Yes, yes. And um, uh, Continental Drifters. Continental Drifters, Dream Syndicate, uh, Steve Wynn's solo show with a possible guest appearance of Dennis Duck. And, and we'll so, take it all. You know. Yeah, yep. Wow, man. So the new record, there's a bundle that's available where you can give a hat, stickers, um, bag, pin, a bag, and um, a slip mat. A slip mat. For a turntable. Yeah. So, yep. Yep. But, but the piece de resistance is a beautiful colored vinyl. Yes, yes. So there's the colored vinyl as well as the black vinyl. Both are available. And the, that uh, colored pressing looks incredibly yeah. beautiful. So uh, our buddy Frank Dragato of the JFJ Conspiracy, where the shop talk is rock, 
he's already got his ordered soraya so oh i um, ordered mine too so so, so we're all moving but me. but uh especially for those of you really interested in out of the gray i want to thank pat thomas for giving the information that uh towards the in a month a thousand more copies so of this beautiful out of the gray package which you do want absolutely um, even absolutely if, with your time yep even if you've heard out of the gray a hundred times on the big time <laughs> version please do yourself a favor get this fire records version and uh soraya before we sign off that yes that poster the yep rock poster that uh our buddy dennis uh had in the background reminded me that i wanted to do something for our sign off um, Alexa, music room off. Yes. Yeah, All baby. Right. All right, Soraya. Mi gente agrubiar. Groove on, Paisley people. the gray <laughs> uh, it had to be done it had I, to be done i love it i love it oh my gosh
Holds on to a postcard dated March 4th, 1968 And it says, man, I must have missed so much Could you please 